It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, July 18th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. Care Court, a system that puts judges in charge of ordering treatment for people with serious psychotic illnesses, is a relatively new system, and its successes and failures are still in the process of being measured. The California Report has the scoop on what it's shaped up to be so far. Then, after a look at local news and weather, the California News Service brings us the latest about a new youth-led organization, Fire Generation Collaborative, that works to bring younger people into the world of firefighting. That's all before KVMR's Paul Emery talks with retired Fed economist Gary Zimmerman in this week's Economic Report. This is the California Report. I'm Mavi Bolaños in San Francisco. Starting this fall, judges in eight counties will be put in charge of ordering treatment for people with serious psychotic illness. Some politicians say these new care courts will clean up the streets, while health advocates argue a courtroom is no place for vulnerable patients. In the latest in our series on the care court system here in California, KQED health correspondent April Domboski explains how Orange County officials are balancing this tension as they start to implement the controversial new plan. Orange County is known for its beaches. People playing volleyball in bikinis, riding cruisers along the bike path. For Heidi Sweeney, it's where the voices in her head told her to go to be safe. I ran and I hid. When doctors said she had schizoaffective disorder, she didn't believe them. She refused to take any medication. Because I was like, oh, I, I don't need to put that in my body. You know, that's poison. For months, she was living behind a bush next to a liquor store, drinking vodka all day to drown out the voices. When social workers offered her help... She refused. I was like, I'm not going to those groups. I'm not going through that treatment. I don't need that. You know, that's for people that are sick. I'm not sick. Then Sweeney got arrested for petty theft, and the judge gave her a choice, jail or treatment. Sweeney says if she hadn't been forced into care, she wouldn't be here today. She wouldn't be back at work, united with her husband. I, I mean, I'm so thankful that they did that. This is why Sweeney supports the new civil care court system, where a judge can order people into treatment even if they haven't committed a crime. But that's the exact reason many other people with mental illness oppose care court. Orlando Vera says it violates their civil rights. He says if you want someone who's done nothing wrong to heal from illness, you don't drag them into a courtroom. It's not a place you resolve your emotions of how you feel. It is a very business-oriented environment. So I I do feel that this is not the place for it. But Orlando knows that that fight is over. Can we stop it? I would say we can't. The governor ordered the first care courts to open in October, with the rest of the state following next year. Now patient advocates are referring to the rollout as disaster preparedness. Our focus is how do we support those that are going through the system, which we are. We need to be their voice. Hello. Yeah, you as well. When I meet with the lawyers and judges tasked with standing up care court in Orange County, it's like they got trained on the same talking points as the patient advocates. They seem intent on making the process as benign as possible. We don't want to punish people. We want them to maintain their dignity. 
Presiding Judge Maria Hernandez says Care Court will be modeled after Orange County's other collaborative courts. Here, judges lose the black robe and come down off the bench in order to work with people eye to eye. On a recent day in Hernandez's young adult court, the mood is downright jovial. Defendants and their family members chatting and laughing. Snacks are laid out on a table in the back. Well, let me first go ahead and call the matter of 20 CF. Today, three young men are graduating from the two-year young adult program. They did job training, school, and therapy instead of jail time. All right, then the court will now formally dismiss all counts and congratulate Mr. Garcia, who is also felony. At the end of the proceeding, the men got a standing ovation. Judge Hernandez is so... Like, she's so awesome. Abraham is 25 now. He was the first to graduate from young adult court when it started a few years ago. Like, I don't even look at her as a judge. She's just like a, you look at her like as a mom figure. I'm so glad you guys are here. A minute later, Judge Hernandez swings by and gives Abraham a hug. She's just only trying to push you to be the better you. Even if care court is ruled by the likes of Mary Poppins, Clinicians still question the premise of funneling precious healthcare dollars to judges and lawyers when therapists on the front lines are already so strapped. Orange County Director of Behavioral Health, Veronica Kelly, says Care Court is not the program she would have created to improve the state's mental health system, but she serves at the mercy of the governor. So we end up building like the Winchester Mystery House. It is a a structure that was okay, but then it just started adding hallways to nowhere and basements that are on top of the building, and that's what our system looks like. Do you think CareCore is a hallway to nowhere? I think it is a hallway that I'm going to, at the end, construct a door that opens out to a bunch of different options. This is why Kelly wanted Orange County to go first, so she could create a model of the program that, in her words, won't be a colossal waste of money and won't destroy the people it's intended to serve. We want this to be effective. We do not need one more program that fails. So her team has to strike a delicate balance, how to convince people to accept care without coercing them. In Orange County, this means social workers might visit people 20 or 30 times to build trust, to listen, to set goals. If someone agrees to do something of their own accord, it is far more probable that there will be long-term success and long-term commitment to the services being provided. To Kelly, the success of Care Court will be measured not by the people who graduate from the program in a courtroom celebration, but by the number of people who accept treatment voluntarily before a judge has to order it. For The California Report, I'm April Dimboski. Support for The California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 850 drop-off sites in California, where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com slash CA. Guideline. The California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org.
And that's the California Report for Tuesday, July 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. And remember, you can get all your statewide news on the California Report podcast. Subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. The Firefield workforce demographic is fairly limited and has been historically. Now, with wildfire becoming more and more of a pressing issue due to factors like climate change, that fact is beginning to change. Up next, the California News Service introduces us to Fire Generation Collaborative, a new youth-led organization that works to bring younger people of different genders into the world of firefighting. Fire management needs to evolve to attract young professionals, according to a new youth-led organization called Fire Generation Collaborative. FireGen's leaders are all college students or recent grads who want to change the way society approaches the field. Co-founder Kyle Trefney says we need to stop seeing fire as the enemy. We have a strong fear of fire. It's a little bit misguided because fire has been a natural part of our landscapes for thousands of years, and it's been managed in safe and healthy ways traditionally by indigenous people. FireGen advocates for more prescribed fires and indigenous cultural burns to get the benefits of burning while mitigating some of the risks and impacts. Tim Inglesby is an instructor at the University of Oregon who runs the group Firefighters United for Safety and Ecology. What we really are trying to promote is a paradigm shift in fire management, away from reactive firefighting and more proactive fire management. So we're really working with fire instead of fighting against it constantly. The group recently traveled to Washington, D.C. to meet with lawmakers and express support for youth advisory councils at federal agencies within the U.S. Forest Service and the Department of the Interior. Last year, the Forest Service said it was short more than 25 percent of the workforce it needed heading into fire season. And federal data show that wildland firefighters are more than 80 percent male and 70 percent white. Ayuthia Lapierre is FireGen's communications director. So fire generation is focusing on ways to make sure that the fire field, especially in terms of workforce development, has parity and makes sense to have a career in. Oftentimes careers in fire are very short-lived. They have a large impact on your body. They tend to be really, really exclusionary towards people of marginalized genders. FireGen calls on community colleges in fire-prone areas to train more young people on best practices for prescribed burns and fire resiliency. This story was produced with original reporting from Colleen Haggerty for Nexus Media News and the site Reasons to be Cheerful. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. In regional news, according to Ubinet, yesterday, June 17th, set two records for the hottest, highest, and lowest temperatures recorded for that date at the Grass Valley Wastewater Treatment Plant's weather station. It measured 101 degrees Fahrenheit for the high temperature and 71 degrees Fahrenheit for the coolest. The maximum and minimum temperatures are technically unofficial records for now. Michelle Mead, the meteorologist in charge, MIC, explained the process of temperature measurements becoming official. We only issue RER, or Record Event Reports, for our official airport climate sites, so you won't see a report from our office about that site. Those won't be official records until the National Center for Environmental Information publishes them about four to six weeks later, she said. 
If you're interested in taking a look at it, the data collected is available on the National Weather Service's website under Now Data. Ubinet is also reporting that District 5 Supervisor Hardy Bullock has announced his seeking of a second term on the Nevada County Board of Supervisors. In a statement, he said, quote, It has been an honor to serve the Eastern County and the entire region as the District 5 Supervisor. I'm running for re-election for one simple reason. I love Truckee, Nevada County, and the entire Sierra region. I had a plan when I arrived. Build goodwill between stakeholders, bring service and support to East County, enhance the lives of people I serve, and integrate Nevada County locally, regionally, and nationally. As was previously covered on the KVMAR newscast, Pioneer Community Energy will be coming to Nevada County in 2024. Now, the Board of Supervisors is considering whether or not to adopt a community choice aggregation plan using the agency. Under the proposal, Pioneer Community Energy would manage local electricity service, providing customers with an estimated $20 per month in savings and a 100% renewable energy option. The Community Choice Aggregation Program allows for profits to be invested back into the community rather than paid out to shareholders. That said, PG&E would still be responsible for providing power through its poles and wires and handling customer billing. The county would be following Grass Valley and Nevada City, who have already agreed to work with Pioneer Community Energy starting in January. The Board of Supervisors is planning to host an informational session on August 8th to discuss the proposal with a definitive vote possible in October. In the meantime, residents have the option to learn more directly from Pioneer Community Energy representatives. In fact, as I speak, a meeting is being held at the Nevada City Council Chambers at 317 Broad Street. It's also broadcasting live on Zoom for those that can't attend in person. And then on Wednesday, July 26th at 6 p.m., another meeting will be held by the South County Municipal Advisory Committee in the Higgins-Lyons Community Center, which is located at 224-90 East Hacienda Drive in Grass Valley. If you're interested in learning more about community choice aggregation and Pioneer Community Energy, as well as how it could work for county residents, you can visit www.nevadacountyca.gov cca. That's all from the Nevada County Executive Office. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 67. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 92. Wednesday night, clear with a low around 65. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 54. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 83. And Wednesday night, clear with a low around 49. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 59. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 95. And Wednesday night, clear with a low around 59. Currently, there are no red flag warnings or fire weather watches. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Many economic sources predicted a recession to take place in 2023. But does that prediction still seem accurate? Coming up, KV Mars Paul Emery and retired federal economist Gary Zimmerman discuss changes in inflation, employment rates, and more in this week's economic report. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kalb, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983, on Spring Street in Nevada City. Rick K A L B. 
com. Gary, what's new with the economy? How about starting with an update on the inflation numbers? Thanks, Paul. It's always good to be here. Well, the good news is that the latest consumer price index or CPI inflation numbers for the overall inflation rate for their, for consumers has fallen. And um, so they're looking much better. It's slowed to a rate of about 3% over the past year uh, in June. Uh, so this is a, you know, the total inflation index that includes both food and energy uh, items for you know, an overall inflation number. So that's, that's definitely good news. Um, the core CPI inflation numbers. Those are the ones that take out the volatile food and energy components, um, you know, have also fallen from the peak, although the increase uh, over the past 12 months is still 4.8%. So that still remains quite a bit above the Fed's overall inflation goal. But, you know, overall, that's, you know, good news that inflation numbers are coming down. Uh, Gary, for comparison, how rapidly did the overall consumer price index inflation increase? last year. And how did that compare with, say, the 1970s? Okay, the overall CPI inflation rate peaked at just over 9% on a year-over-year basis in June 2022. You know, of course, this is just one observation or data point that we have in, in this year, but 3%, or a little over 3%, is a lot of improvement in inflation from 9%. Um, so then also at 3%, the Fed is getting much closer to the 2% longer-run goal that it has for inflation, although remember that 2% is measured against another index of inflation, the uh, personal consumption expenditure price index, but it's also showing a similar downward trend. Now, as to the 1970s inflation, um, you know, that was mostly driven by spikes in energy prices um, and rates, inflation rates were much higher. They peaked at just over 12% in 1974 and for, over 14% in 1980. And, you know, it's a very high um, consumer price inflation well above where we got this time. Um, and both, of course, were followed by recessions. We spoke a couple of weeks ago. You said the overall economy and the labor markets were both continuing to show strength. Any updates? Paul, um, as I cited then, the overall economy's growth rate was noticeably revised upward for the first quarter of the year from 1.3% annual rate to a 2% annual rate for the quarter. Um, you know, that's down a little bit from the strong growth in the second half of 2022, but still a little faster than we might expect the economy to grow on average over a longer period of time. And on the unemployment front, or the employment labor market news, it was also positive. The overall unemployment rate fell slightly from 3.7% in May to 3.6% in June. That's probably not even statistically significant. Um, again, you know, the unemployment rate remains um, at or below what most economists consider to be full employment. Gary, uh, let me ask you, uh, for comparison, how much have the GDP and labor market indicators improved since the COVID recession hit in 2020? Oh, Paul, there is no comparison. The unemployment rate peaked at 14.7% of the civilian labor force in June of 2020 while COVID was spreading around the globe and then in, in the U.S. And in a matter of weeks, a stunning 20 million workers were suddenly out of job. Um, by year in 2020, the unemployment rate had improved uh, 
to 6.7% as many workers are back, um, but that's still very high considering that it was under 4% in 2019 before COVID. So 3.6% is very good. And on the inflation, excuse me, on the uh, real or inflation adjusted gross domestic product or, or GDP, that's the economy's output goods and services, that was shrinking at an astounding 8.4% annual rate in the second quarter of 2020. You know, in 2021, the economy was expanding, um, and the last half of 2022, in the first quarter of 2023, um, early GDP has been expanding at an average pace or better. So that's, you know, again, good news. It's good news. <laughs> okay, Gary, what happened to the recession that so many forecasts were expecting for 2023? Are they still waiting? <laughs> Well, the good news is that uh, while some parts of the economy are hurting and uh, the overall economy has continued to expand and the labor markets have remained robust, despite the Fed's policy decisions uh, raising their short-term target interest rate from nearly zero in March 2022 to the low 5% range where it is today. Um, now, that was designed to slow inflation, um, those higher rates. So higher rates will slow the economy slow inflation. Hopefully uh, they'll do so without driving the economy into a recession. You know, that would be when the economy either slows down and output or GDP actually starts to contract or shrink for a period of time. And that's, you know, usually it'd be a period of six months. Um, so, you know, has it happened and, you know, good news as well. Okay. We're, here's the last question. This is a big one. Now, can the Fed slow the economy and lower inflation without causing a recession? Well, history um, indicates that most of the time when the Fed raises interest rates, it does blow the economy, uh, and often and normally causes a recession. So, uh, but the quick answer would be that the outlook seems to be changing here as well. Um, Fed, former Fed Vice Chairman Roger Ferguson was quoted last week as saying it looks like the Fed may get a soft landing, and that would be bringing the inflation rate down toward their 2% goal without creating a, a hard landing or or what economists call a recession. Um, and this week, you know, two major banks, New York banks and Bank of America and Chase, um, North Carolina, have released forecasts that suggested the Fed will probably succeed with a soft landing. And that, again, would be very good news indeed um, for everybody while, while bringing down the inflation rate. Well, that's good news, Gary. So let's just let's just close with that, and uh, we'll catch up in a couple of weeks. Sounds good, Paul. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, and is currently a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria. He teaches courses in economics and finance. That's our newscast for this Tuesday, July 18th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and Craig Johnson Plumbing, family-owned plumbing and rooting service serving Nevada and Placer County since 2004, providing plumbing installations and repairs. Also, emergency services for residential and commercial customers. Craig Johnson Plumbing at grassvalleyplumbing.com. And Four Paws Animal Clinic. Doctors Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR. 
providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions. On Searles Avenue, Nevada City. FourPawsAC.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night.